Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Apocalypse, finally we're all outside playing again. Let's blow out the candles and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Nuka-Cola. Annihilate your thirst with an atomic blast of Nuka-Cola. <laughs> Welcome. How's me doing voiceover voice? Welcome, everybody. I was just going to say. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And what would you say we do here, Todd? That's also my, uh, <laughs> my office space voice. <laughs> what would you say you do here? <laughs> uh, I would say we like to watch movies and then talk about what we see in them from a the perspective of a um a granular perspective i would sort of i would say not so much as the details here and the details there but more of like a hey did you catch this did you catch that and sometimes you like to get into the the nitty gritty and the details of hey this shot you know they probably used this type of lens and and that sort of stuff is is really fun if you know what you're if our viewers or listeners know what you're talking about, and even if they don't, it's it's interesting to understand the um, the science, I would say, behind filmmaking, because it I mean, the more that I do these episodes with you, <clears throat> the more that I learn how much of a science it really is. Mm. And it, it's so funny because, you know, you you I love listening to like Martin Scorsese talk and and you know, uh, Spielberg talk about filmmaking and Quentin Tarantino talk about filmmaking. And I know they're coming from the perspective of someone who has millions of dollars to make a film, but in, and, and so you have to take their advice, quote unquote, with a grain of salt. However, there are some, there are some details about it that, that just makes sense. And that if you're in, in it and doing it, you can step back and see, oh, there is a broad stroke you can make with filmmaking and storytelling in general, you know, that can surpass the budget or lack thereof, that can surpass the the help and the and the the crew that you don't have, you know. And that's where I like to talk about, like those, you know, overarching things. And you do too, but once you get past those things and you're you're talking about like, okay, well, now that we're able to tell a story with no budget if we had budget what could we do with these details you know how detailed can we get with the little budget we have to make it that much better because i don't care what you say budget changes what a film looks and feels like it just does if you have five thousand dollars it's going to look and feel different than if you have five million and there's a reason for that and so i Anyway, long story short, that's what we do. We like to get into the into the the overarching themes of a film, and then get down deep into the uh, the granular stuff when necessary uh, to explain some stuff. And sometimes that is necessary. Love it, man. Well, well said, bro. Nice. And with that in mind, what are we going to be diving into today? Today we are covering the book of Eli. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, please pause this episode, go watch it. I believe it's streaming on Max or HBO Max, whatever they're called, because uh, we're going to be spoiling a bunch of stuff. And this is one that uh, you definitely don't want us to spoil for you. For sure. We'll dive into a bunch of stuff. Um, we'll definitely touch on visual style. It's kind of hard to not talk about it on some level. You'll probably cover it, in fact. Um, but we'll look at some of that. Um, we'll also talk about some of the story and writing, maybe touch on a little bit of the theme, the way 
maybe the theme can inform the way you outline and uh, approach your story um, from the from the beginning um, and other such stuff and things and stuff. I also went to a uh, a screening and I'll, I'll talk about uh, things I learned in the screening. And so, yeah, so everything. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> a quick synopsis of the film. I love your synopses. They're they're always really interesting, especially when there's a lot to cover and you have to say it in a sentence. Ninety percent of the time I rip it straight off IMDb, but then sometimes, including this week, I will edit it. I'm like, I think that's not yeah. right. <laughs> this is a better way. Yeah. <laughs> or or not just not right, but I think it gives away too much. Yes. In, in a way. Right. Yes. That's that's what I see in you. Uh, quick synopsis. A post-apocalyptic tale in which a, a lone man fights his way across America in order to protect a sacred book. Uh, it's directed by the Hughes Brothers. Screenplay by Gary Whitta. Cinematography by Don Burgess. I keep seeing him on so many films that we cover. Featuring Denzel Washington as Eli. Gary Oldman as Carnegie. Mila Kunis as Solara. And Jennifer Beals as Claudia. Is that thing loaded? I don't think it's loaded. One way to find out. Look, I need that book. I mean, I want the book. And you, but if you make me choose, I'll kill you. I'll take the book. Why? Why do you want it? I grew up with it. I know its power. If you read it, then so do you. That's why they burned them all after the war. That's just staying alive is an act of faith. Building this town is an even bigger act of faith, but they don't understand that. None of them. And I'd have had the right words to help them, but the book does. I admit. I've had to do things, many, many things I hate to build this, I confess that. But if we have that book, I wouldn't have to. I imagine. Imagine how, how, how different, how righteous this little world could be if we had the right words for our faith. Well, people would truly understand why they're here and what they're doing, and they wouldn't need any other uglier motivations. It's not right to keep that book hidden away. It's meant to be shared with others. It's meant to be spread. Is that what you want? With all my heart and soul. I always believed that I'd find a place where this book belonged, where it was needed. But I haven't found it yet. I love this guy. So... Book of Eli, man. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> so good. So good. I mean, I, it, Denzel is an easy sell for me always. Yeah. The man is just so nonchalant that it's impossible to not believe him. Uh, th- there's no ounce of I'm trying to act in any anything that he's ever done. I've never... You know, you all, and he's what is interesting. Some, there are some actors that you always see, but you never do, you know, you never like experience. And, and I think he's definitely one of those that falls into that category of, I love watching Denzel Washington in his roles, but I don't see Denzel. You always see him, but like, you don't really like 
see him. He's just a, he's a, he is the character. I think this is one of those great examples of that where um, he, uh, he has this perfect air about him of <laughs> silent, but deadly uh, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's a warrior, you know, is the, the term it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gar- gardener in a war or something. And he, he's definitely a warrior with the vibe of a gardener of being mm-hmm. in a garden. He has this, this way of giving you this sense of ease in a, in a scene like that where you're thinking, and this is a perfect example, by the way, of putting your character in a position where you have no idea how they could get out. Right. You're, you're seeing he's surrounded uh, completely. Like how could he possibly get out of this? You know? And yet we've already done the spoiler uh, alert yet he gets out. And part of it is because of his absolute drive and blind faith that he is on a mission that he was told he would be protected and knows when to act and when not to act just based off of his, his feeling. He's totally reliant upon uh, the fact that he's going to be protected except when he knows he needs, he needs to take action to protect himself in the book. And he's able, he has the wisdom to know the difference between the two, right? Or when to act. And it's just a wonderful uh, experience to watch this, this man who has all the faith in the world, like no matter what, he know he is knows exactly where to go. And he doesn't know how he's going to get there. He has mm-hmm. no idea. In fact, it, it's it's such a beautiful moment where he's walking down the down the path at this one point and he there's a fork in the road and he doesn't know, do I go left or do I go straight? And he stops for a second and he looks both ways and then he just takes a step and he walks forward. It's just a, an act that alone is an act of faith that he has to take a decision he has to make. And just seeing that what it has been such an easy thing to cut out of the film, but it was so important to have a little 10 second clip of that showing that everything that this guy does is out of faith. If he's going to cut off your hand, it's out of faith. It's out of like, I need to protect this book. And I know that these guys will kill me. I have to kill them. And if it's, and then at the end uh, of that whole scene where he's at the very beginning, where he kills all those guys under the bridge, that one guy who he cut his hand off, he knows he has to kill him because otherwise that guy's going to come back after him. He's in, in, his only goal is to protect that, that book. And that evolves over the, the course mm-hmm. of the film where he, he now has Mila Kunis' character that he has to protect, uh, who is Solara, that he has to protect and, and takes with him because he sees good in her. But it's just a, anyway, just a wonderful story of a, of a particular guy who is, who knows his vision and his journey and then a wonderful way of telling it where every single moment heightens the next moment um, or it solidifies a specific goal of a character. It's just really, really beautiful. Love it. Dude. Well said, man. I don't, I, I think I always struggled to, to put my finger on exactly why I love this movie. And I don't, and I, I just don't know what it is because I, it's not that, you know, I'm this big faith kind of person and that this is speaking to me on this, you know, uh, symbolic level of what it means to have faith and to carry it with you, blah, blah, blah. So it's not that, even though I kind of love his mission. And I think the thing that really helps 
pull me in is the final moments whenever you see the book go on the shelf, right? It goes on a shelf between the Torah and the Quran. Uh, and that's kind of a, a flare that this isn't about Christianity. It's, it's, it's about faith. It's about something else. Um, and that's a beautiful picture that they're creating this world that isn't going to be determined by any one faith. It's opening up faith to everyone. And, um, all these roads, all these avenues are, are available to everyone. And I so appreciate that, that little finesse, that little touch that they put on there to, to just let you know that it's not really about this faith. It's about faith in general, or, or, or maybe even just, a the big, bigger message. I think, um, thematically it's, uh, I, uh, I'll come back to that in a minute, but it's, I, I just don't know, but I know Part of it is certainly it's just Denzel being on screen. Uh, he's so compelling, and I I love the way you put it. He he has that essence, this this vibe uh, um, of a warrior in a garden. Like yes, he's um, he's poised. Um, he's he's always in control, even whenever you feel everything is starting to spin out of control around him. You never lose faith in Denzel <laughs> um, on screen. There's very few films where you ever feel like he's not in a position of power. There's just something about that guy. Uh, he carries it with him. Um, and then watching in a film like this, it's all heightened to a whole other degree. Whenever, I mean, that bridge scene at the beginning is one of the greatest fight scenes of all time. <laughs> like It's up there. It's got to be top 10, if not top five. Um, and I don't even know what those others would necessarily be all right off the top of my head, but I know that's in it. I do know that. Um, it's just so good and so fast. I think that's the other thing that I really love about this film is you never get a sense that the fight sequences are there to be fight sequences. They're there to serve a purpose in the story and to convey something about the characters. Um, and so nothing ever feels spectacle for spectacle's sake it's always there to drive the story forward um in one capacity or another and and i think that pulls me into the drama of the of, of this world instead of just feeling like oh I'm, I'm settling in for an action film it's like no i'm settling in for a drama that has some action in it um and those are just two completely different experiences right you go to a john wick film to see the action um you come to this film to see some drama and then see some hands get chopped off. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I think part of it, too, is the genre. Like, I love apocalypse films. Uh, and not a lot of... It's hard to pull off. I don't know how many apocalypse films really sell their own vision. A lot of them feel like they're part of, you know, this genre's oeuvre more than they are its own film. I walk into this film and I'm like, I'm watching the book of Eli. I don't think I'm watching a post-apocalyptic film. Um, that just happens to be the setting that carries a story uh, forward. And it's part and parcel. You can't have one without the other, but I feel like the story necessitates the setting more than inversely. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's all those things. It's none of those things. Like, do you, uh, can you put your finger on why this movie sings the way it does? Well, I love that you I love that you mentioned where they put the book at the end and and that I know I didn't actually think about like I, I just thought, looked at it as something like like they're trying to retain knowledge. But mm -hmm. I love you're totally right that they put it between two other books of faith. And so I think maybe it speaks to humanity and 
and individual people of like, don't try to have everything figured out. Just, just, you know, look inside yourself and figure out what it is that's driving you, what it is that, that is pushing you forward. Cause I think that we all have this thing that like, kind of like, why do we get out up in the morning? Well, you know, maybe some days I can't tell you, but many days I can. Um, and so like trust that and not worry about like where you want to be in a year or 10 years or whatever, just keep going forward. Whatever it is that you need to have faith in, find that and unapologetically do it. Cause that's definitely what he does. Also, I think, I think it's the violence that kind of solidifies this as, as not just a straight faith-based movie, right? Because so many faith-based movies are anti-violence mm. or they have a character that that's anti-violent. And I mean, even Batman, you know, like, I mean, he's violent, but like, he won't kill people, you know, but you have this guy who's supposedly like super religious and like, like more than anybody that you'd know. And he is not, does not hesitate to kill you in a second. If he thinks that you are, are going against him uh, or trying to get the book. And I think that that is kind of opposite from a lot of stories that are kind of like this, where he's just very aggressive if you're aggressive to him unapologetically. And that probably kind of seeps into your bones of thinking of like making it okay to fight for this thing that you believe in. I I don't fully know. And it's Denzel and, and Mila Kunis. So I gotcha. You know, (laughs) you you got me. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's all good there. Right. Um, yeah, I will say like, I, so I finished, kind of put a pin or a button on uh the last my first and last uh previous feature script that i that i finished i did a big rewrite after i said i'm not gonna do it uh, myself just yet instead i'll do one more draft where i throw a budget out the window and this goes back to your point when we started uh there there's so much more you can do when the budget isn't five thousand when it is five million and i finally put that hat on like okay in this script without completely changing the entire script what would I do that I couldn't do on my own if I threw it to, you know, Legendary or um, some other big studio, Lionsgate? What would I do with that $5 million budget if I could have it? Okay, here's a few ideas that are big. And it just changed everything. Anyway, I put the button on on that and started working on a new idea. And I just have a, a whole sheet full of ideas of like, this could be a script, this could be a script, I probably have a easy dozen um, that if I just hold up for a year, I could write a script a month, you know, easily. And finally started narrowing in on the the, the goal of any script. And I don't care if your budget is 5,000 or 5 million or 500 million, uh, probably, well, it defeats the purpose of the $500 million budget. But the, the goal yeah. of every every story screenplay is what can I make that has a really high concept, but doesn't cost a lot? Like everybody wants that, like studios and me, like everyone. And I kind of honed in on like, oh, I think I have that idea and started working out some of the, the mechanics of it with our buddy, uh, Scott Garrett Graham. Um, and then I kind of came to a point, I was like, okay, before we go any further, we need to figure out what's the theme. Like, and there's so many ways you can approach theme. Theme to me is almost like a useless term uh, because it can embody so many different concepts or approaches. 
Um, it's kind of the driving heartbeat of your story, whether it's spoken aloud or not. Sometimes I look at it as uh, the subtextual conversation that you're having throughout your film. Um, sometimes I look at it as a dramatic question. Um, sometimes I look at it as a dramatic argument um, that you're trying to make on behalf of the film. And any one of those approaches can help inform the way you write or outline uh, your story. And that's part of the utility of it is, okay, I'm going to uh, make a dramatic argument about faith. Let's, let's see what it, what do I need to write now? And this is the informative part of, okay, if I'm going to make this dramatic argument, I need to write for it against it um, and try to think around what helps me prove out and tease out this argument that I'm making. And so my, where I'm going with this is I, as I'm trying to think about my own script and figure out what is going to be my, my theme, is it going to be a dramatic question? I, I really want a dramatic argument. And in order to help me with that, I start kicking around uh, ideas. It helps me a lot to just start reading other people's thoughts and ideas about theme. Uh, cause maybe they'll say something that triggers the thought, right? Um, it, it's a way of kind of stretching for me. Uh, and so I started reading, I start Googling and I start going through store, uh, uh, forums and I found a forum that I've never seen before. And they start talking about, it becomes this like 40 page fight between screenwriters, uh, about theme and what does it mean? Where does it come from? How do you approach it? What's the, what's the point of theme, uh, in the first place and blah, blah, blah. And some of them start bringing up examples of theme. And I forget one of the, uh, I think Nemo is a big recurring one because one of the writers, Craig Mazin, um, uses finding Nemo as like his perfect point about thematic writing and his, his big phrase is central dramatic argument and which seems a little bit laborious, but, uh, whatever floats your boat. And so he kind of goes through that. And then another writer pops in completely randomly. I promise like, uh, two days ago, cause this board, this, this message board is like 12 years old, 13 years old. And someone brings up book of Eli. <laughs> like, I was like, wow, they bring up like three different movies. And the third one I think is unforgiven. Um, and one of them is book of Eli. And I was like, well, Okay, I, I can't stop reading. I'm still in research mode, but it does violate my principle of, you know, reading other people's thoughts about our, uh, a film that we're covering. And along the way, someone was like, actually, Gary Whitta said what his theme was, and it's XYZ. And someone else was like, well, that actually proves my point because just because he phrased it this way doesn't mean it can't be rephrased in another context. It's still the exact same concept just, you know, different utility and, and approach. Uh, and the theme, and I've already forgotten it. I, I didn't write it down, but it was something to the effect of the, the theme of Book of Eli from his perspective. And it doesn't have to be everyone's. Uh, that's the beauty of art, as we've said in a time or two. Uh, but his, his perspective of uh, this film was looking at how faith can be used for evil and for good. That's the bare bones of it. And he probably says it much more poetically, um, but that's the idea. And you can see that played out. Now, if you start with that concept and if you wanted to turn it into a dramatic question, it would be how can faith be used for good or evil? And then you could answer it that way. Another dramatic argument would be, um, to, again, it's just rephrasing it and, and how you phrase it can help or hurt you as a writer. Um, and I would probably phrase it more as, uh, a dramatic argument being along the lines of uh, faith 
can be used for the greater good or for a greater evil. Something along those lines that it's not what the faith is, it's how it's used by the wielder. Um, it can be used for good or evil. And this film is a really good kind of use case for that, right? Because we see two different people going through two different experiences in life, in this really hard life of the the, the post-apocalypse. Uh, you have Gary Oldman's character, right? Who, who He's wanting faith for his own power. Now he's couching it in these kind of idealistic, let me appeal to the, the better nature of angels kind of thing, right? Eli, I swear, like, I, I'm so bad. I'm so sorry for all the bad things I've done, but I had to do it. You, you see what I'm trying to do here, right? And if I only had the right words, I wouldn't have to do all those bad things. Um, you can see the way someone's trying to pervert faith. And I remember this old CNN segment uh, from ages ago, and someone was being interviewed. And it was a, uh, I can't remember if he was Muslim. I want to say he was. And they were interviewing him. This is like around 2010, still around the same era. And uh, they're like, you know, can't you see what Islam is being used to do? And uh, it's just an evil. This is what it calls for. This is not like an accident. This is what it is. And he was like, no, there, you can find any religion being perverted. It's not about the religion. It's about what you bring to it. If you want to use it for evil, you can. I can show you Christians that have used Christianity for evil. I can show you Buddhists who use Buddhism for evil. It's never about the religion. It's about the person holding it and what they want to accomplish with it. Um, and it was just such a beautiful sentiment. It's just rung in my ears ever since that I never judged the religion. And, you know, I judged the person using it. And this is just that all over again, right? It's one character, Carnegie, trying to use religion to, for his own ends. And then you, and the beautiful arc of Eli, of course, uh, is he's so focused on achieving, you know, his, his, his mission that at the end of the movie, he's like, I, I forgot to live by what I learned through this faith. And I love it because he, he doesn't say this is what it is. He just says, this is what it means to me. And that's such a great way. It's the complete antithesis of whatever Carnegie was going to want to do with it. Right. Because Eli is saying, it's not about what I think it should be used for. As opposed to Carnegie was going to be, I want to use it for X. And it shall be X. And and Eli saying it, it's about doing more for others than you do for yourself. At least that's what I got out of it. In other words, it's open to interpretation. What a beautiful, you know, contrast between our, our hero and villain um, and just the, the use of faith and just the way to keep that in tune with everything else that's kind of happening along the way. Um, because to your point, like, yes, Eli greatly capable of violence and he will completely chop you apart if he suspects uh you're not you know gonna be a good guy but he never starts there he always tries to give people the opportunity to back away like hey it doesn't have to be this way and you get even even the the bridge sequence which is incredible you know the first thing he says is i i understand you you understand me yeah well, let me tell you something. You touch me again, you're not going to get that hand back. <laughs> and this guy, of course, you know, tests his luck and bam. Um, but that whole that that whole sequence is uh, fin fantastic. I even love, you know, it just establishes the uh, the shot really well with this wide aerial shot, and then we cut in to this perfect, beautiful contrast of Eli walking in from under the bridge, silhouetted, 
against uh, the background. And we have this kind of wide two shot um, that we enter into with him in the background walking in and the woman in the foreground. And we just kind of dolly uh, to the side of her as we're kind of establishing our, our 180 rule. We reverse angle for the whole fight sequence under the bridge. And it's, it's so good. Okay. Obviously the silhouettes are beautiful, but it's choreographed to absolute perfection because you have to understand the way they visualize that, that fight was to be in silhouette. And in order to do that, it needs to remain perfectly clear what action is happening, who is whom and allow the viewer to fully see everything without having to actually make out any details whatsoever. Like that's a lot of pre-visualizing and working through with the stunt team of, okay, um, let's make sure that whenever this works in perfect black and white, if we were to just have a black and white image, can we understand this sequence? Does, do we understand who Denzel is? Do we understand who the bad guys are? Is there ever any? And so you have to figure out the silhouettes of the characters themselves. You have to make sure the fight is happening uh, in profile, right? In parallel uh, so that, you know, we don't get caught up in uh, confused in the depth, right? And so the characters have to be lined up, but it also has to feel motivated for everyone to feel that way. And so you're working through a lot of the, uh, not just how the fight should happen, but why it's happening so that everything feels honest, it never feels forced. Um, and that's just, all, I mean, hats off to that stunt team. And obviously Denzel for uh, being a badass because that's that's a one shot. So I, I, I got to see a screening of this and I double checked the, the, the date. It was January 11th, 2010. And so that was over 13 years ago. And so if I don't remember a lot, you know, forgive me. But I do remember some stuff, uh, despite, again, being 13 years ago. It's very clear in my mind um, that, that whole moment. But I saw the screening and the Hughes brothers were in attendance. And so I just got to listen to them talk, you know, for uh, 30, 40 minutes about making this film. And, and one, one of the first things, of course, you watch this movie and it's funny because this scene probably happens like eight minutes in and it just holds the entire movie. And you come out of the movie and you're like, Hey, I got to ask about that bridge scene. <laughs> and he was when the the main thing I pulled out of that other than it was laborious and took a lot of work. Denzel had to drop some weight from some other roles he was coming out of. Uh, and it took a lot. It took a lot for him to get in, uh, you know, in the shape to do this. All these sequences are tough. But the thing that I took away is they pointed out how he operates best when he's waiting for people to come to him. And we can see him just dice everyone effortlessly. And the one time he gets his ass handed to him in that, in that fight is when he tries to go to the chainsaw guy. He is now on the attack and suddenly it's like he got punished for it. And so once he re regrouped and let the attack come to him, then he diced him apart again. Like it was indicative of the mentality that this guy needs to be having. He's not there to be a force for attacking people. He's there to be a force um, of peace, ideally. And if not, you know, then he handles accordingly. Defense. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just, it's rooted. And then of course it also plays into the idea of uh, his eyesight being an issue, which I'll tell you what they had to say about that. That's another thing that I recall. Um, but I'm curious how does that affect your viewing of the movie, um, if at all? 
Oh, I, I mean, it solidifies, like, honestly, how I felt because you were talking earlier about um, him, you know, being a, or about uh, faith being, it could be good, used for good or bad, good or evil. And it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, Eli was going around killing people, you know, what was his for his cause, just mm. like these other bad guys. But the difference is that one little thing of he's doing it out of defense and he's not doing it immediately. He gives the option to for people to to back away. I may have cut out. What? I was I was asking specifically about the eyesight thing. I mean, feel free to continue that thought. I just want to make sure uh, I was asking how does the the reveal at the end about the Braille and the eyesight um, affect uh, your viewing of the film? Oh, uh totally Could, didn't get that sorry yeah <laughs> i missed yeah, that sorry yeah all good uh, we, i think we cut out just for a hair second um okay but feel free to finish your last thought sorry I, I think we also have a crazy lag happening right now too okay um i think sorry that totally messed up my yeah, train of thought fuck. uh sorry man. <clears throat> i'm i i think what i was trying to get at was the um him him trying to i'm sorry i totally i Damn it. Totally my lost bad, my, train my, of thought my, there. my fault. But I mean, okay, if we want to talk about the ending and the and the eyesight thing, um uh faith is blind. You know? Mm. Uh that that could be an homage to that. Um and and the book is in safer hands than you actually think. Right? So this whole time we're thinking it's it's I or at towards the end, I can't believe he gave up the book. That can't really be the book. Maybe this is just the cover. And in fact, I forgot about the Braille aspect of it. And, and so I, I didn't realize, I thought maybe, maybe that's just the cover and the book is actually still with him. And then uh, we come to find out, no, the book is actually in, in safer hands than you think, right? He, he and a select few of other people are privy to this, right? And so it was just it's just a, a wonderful reveal at the end. And then it gives everybody their just desserts. I feel like it gives it gives uh, Claudia her just dessert, too. She's able to <laughs> to say, go screw yourself to Carnegie. Uh, I'm not going to read that to you. And then um, uh, Carnegie, it's his because he has what he's been fighting for the whole time. And it's still out of reach for him. And then what Eli has been preparing for for 30 years basically memorizing the entire book he gets to actually recite everything that he has uh, worked for the for all the 30 years i think it's just so beautiful and brilliant it's just one of the best endings to a film with <laughs> the the best like like reveals to to a film that i have experienced in a very long time so whenever you find that out it doesn't really affect the way you experience the rest of the film leading up to that for good or bad. Like some people are put off by it. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't buy him as a, uh, a blind guy or whatever, you know, maybe going on there. You feel like, Oh, that, that works perfectly. And I no issues. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm here. Are you saying that he was blind? I'm asking you what your interpretation of all of that is. Um, what do you think? Do you so not I'm, think he's blind? Or do you think he no. just happens to read Braille? Yeah, I think he just happens to read Braille. I never, never once got the sense that he was blind. Is he blind? I mean, that's, that is the question. You, 
what about the, I mean, there's a whole shot. That's where, that's where we're having the disconnect because there's no ounce of me that thought he was blind in this whole thing. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's the, that's the implication. Some may say, because there's that whole close up shot as he's reciting it after the reveal of the Braille, we do that really close push in on his eyes to see that like there's uh, some, some color loss in his, his cataracts or whatever. Oh, Nothing, huh? That's a, that's a new thought. <laughs> that is a one hundred percent new thought. I mean, it, it might be that he's going blind, but I I feel like after thirty years, and maybe even before. So this I, I don't know. This I plays never, into I never thought about it for the first for like once because he breaks into the ho- he breaks into that house where at the beginning where he stays for the night and he's looking around. I see him like tilting his head and and stuff and looking into rooms he might be like going blind but i never thought of him as actually blind yeah okay like my first time viewing it that jumped out at me because the the whole braille reveal but along the way i mean we have all these moments of him smelling things right like under the bridge the first thing he says is the nice thing about nobody showering anymore is i can smell a hijacker a mile away and of course, the, uh, the the guy says that uh, the the leader of that gang is like, it's impressive. He that's the thing he says, right? It's impressive. You could smell us. Like, uh, what's that say about our hygiene, boys, or something like that? Yeah. And along the way, there's all these other little moments of his scent um, and his hearing, and yeah, the whole reveal of the book is in braille, coupled with the close up of the eye, lead, led me strongly to think, wait, he's he's blind, and that's also why. Carnegie is freaking out. He's like, no way, no way he is. No way he is. He, the implication again being no way he's blind. It's just never, you know, spoken aloud, of course. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I guess it makes our conversation a little less interesting because you don't have a strong opinion. Um, but that was a question posed to the Hughes brothers, um, of like, is he blind is, you know, how was he able to do all that? According to y'all, how strict were y'all in filming that? Uh, and they were like, yeah, we weren't very strict. Um, we didn't want it to be this hyper analyzed aspect of the film where, you know, you go back through it and say, Oh, what, how closely is he acting blind throughout the film? They're like, that was, that was never really uh, uh, very important to us because we all have different opinions. I think the writer has a different opinion and each of the brothers uh, have different opinions. And one was like, yeah, I think he's like actually blind and he's, he's doing a bit. And every time he's looking around, he's listening to sounds and it's less about making out shapes than it is about like picking up subtleties of the, the room he's in or what have you. Just like whenever he's in the gunfight in the street, he shoots back. He never starts shooting it's always, oh, this guy, a bullet came from over here. I'm going to turn and, and react to that. A bullet came from over here. I'm going to turn and react to that. He didn't aim at Carnegie. He hit him from shooting someone else. And then the other uh, brother was like, um, yeah, I think he just had like really bad eyesight. He was like cataracts um, that he's been living with for a while. Um, and therefore he can make out some stuff, uh, but you know, it's not very good. It's just not very good. eyesight. And so everyone kind of had their own opinion about it. Even the people that made it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> different. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. But it, it, it seems important to some degree from a writing perspective, at least about why would this guy have this book in the first place? 
um, and let alone be able to read it before the apocalypse. I don't think there's a lot of how to read Braille books standing around, uh, just, you know, laying around uh, after nuclear annihilation. And so maybe for Gary Witta, it meant one thing and they just shot it to their own taste and specificity, which is fine. I, for me, as a huge fan of this, it doesn't bother me at all. Like I go with it. I, I watch it a little bit here and there, but it never really pulls me out. I'm so with the characters in the story that I I'm fine. Like yeah. I, I take it as I like the cataract perspective personally. I'm like, he can make out some stuff, but mostly he's reacting um, in, in, in fight sequences to sounds and movement. And that helps him. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, I kind of would rather fill in a backstory where maybe he had a daughter who was blind, who's mm. now deceased. And he, so that's how he knows like, whatever I'd rather, this guy knows Braille, but he can see that feels more believable, quote unquote, than a blind guy who can shoot somebody off of a off of a rooftop um, just because they shot at him um, in a gunfight. Like, I, I just it's hard for me to buy that. Uh, and all just the way that it was shot, because I never, ever even I never thought it not one time, even after knowing that the book was in Braille, did I ever think that he was actually blind? ever so i i guess the whole time i had been building this yeah. a backstory for him up in my head and so i didn't want to let it go I don't know. but that's amazing it's interesting yeah that's it really is what's I mean, amazing is that the hughes brothers had differing opinions <laughs> on him that to me is amazing that is like so cool because it if i feel like it breaks so many rules that we talk about like you've got to you've got to know these characters inside and out you've got to you know like like have the story in your mind and stuff like no you have two directors who looked at this guy completely different ways of how he goes about his life and how he goes about achieving his goal and yet it worked like how cool is that and for them to be obviously they're brothers but for them to be okay with that like i think this well i think that and to still make something so great and so impactful is just a wonderful thing. Like, that's so cool. I love it. Last few notes here. Uh, the visual styling of the film. My God. I mean, I think first, and there's a reason I didn't label this section like cinematography or directing, because it's a team. There's a whole team effort happening here. Uh, and just from a very big macro standpoint, one of the things I really love about this film is it has its own look and style. This is one of those kind of the matrix films where you could pull a frame from anywhere in this film and instantly know that's book of Eli and not enough films do that. And so I really adore the strong visual approach that, you know, the Hughes brothers have and a lot of their films have this uh, approach and in, in specifics, like the set decoration, the, the, the set design, um, the production design, amazing amazing like the the town itself the the whatever you want to call that crazy you know town oh my god there's so many details that you just drown like you can't pull it all in um and 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 in its detail you just it just washes over you and you instantly understand yeah this is a wrecked town trying to rebuild uh and it just feels right it feels like the apocalypse and i mean i think that even starts from the opening wonder which is just tops. We open, you know, in the forest with nuclear 
snow kind of falling down. Um, and it's just, it paints the world effortlessly. I mean, with a lot of effort, it feels effortless as a viewer. It, it's so good. It, it's establishing the world, our hero, um, and just in a very, whatever, 30 to 60 seconds, painting exactly what we're going to be uh, walking into. Um, and then I love too that, you know, he's killing a cat for food. What a strong opening choice, not a deer, right? A cat. And it's, it just reveals the total desperation of this world. Um, and then the end of that one is this, it takes like, I don't know, four or five seconds to register what you're even looking at as you realize, Oh, that's a, that's a guy because he's so perfectly still. And you're like, what the, what is he doing? What? And then you slowly register. Oh, he's holding, he's holding a, an arrow. Wait, what is happening? And it just slowly kind of forms in your head that, you know, he's, he's about to take this cat out. And I think my one regret is we don't see how he skins it. And I've heard there's so many ways to do that. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, there we go. <laughs> nice. Nice. Nicely done. But the, the, the opening, I mean, the first, whatever, hour and a half, uh, really strong color choices, right? The outdoors are very black and white, right? Almost it. It's desaturated, but it's hard to tell. And this is a tricky decision that you have to make. How much of that desaturation is on set versus in post? Like how much are they doing this at, uh, later in the film? Like uh, in the color grade and going in power windows, like, okay, let's desaturate this, this, this. Instead, a lot of that you can do through your actual wardrobe selection. Like, oh, let's desaturate everything. And that way, you know, it's a little easier uh, to keep your skin tones um, nice and sharp and uh, bright, you know, the right color that you want there or not. Or maybe you just, yeah, take it down to 25% saturation in post, maybe a combination of the two. I think it is important to figure that out ahead of time, though, because if you start that process with the understanding that we're going to paint and choose our wardrobe coloring based on more muted, desaturated tones, you will screw yourself over in post um, whenever you take the saturation even further. Then suddenly you're almost getting black and white whenever you're not actually exactly. supposed to be getting and you're just creating more work for yourself in the in the color process. Um, and so figuring exactly. that out ahead of time. It's almost right? like it, I totally agree. It's almost like more important to work with your team, your set team, your your wardrobe team when you're doing something like this. You know, you you, you can't have a lot of blacks if you're going to desaturate everything. Then there's no... There's no, you have nothing, no texture to go off of, yeah. right? You have to have something that's, that will be, will look dark, but has hues to it, you know, depending, it, you, have, you have to do a lot of testing as opposed to like, okay, well, we want to focus on red in, in this scene because of that. Okay, well, we find the right hue of red and that's fine. It's much much more in depth. I think that's a great thing to call out there. That's why they call them the Hughes brothers, by the way. <laughs> so oh, God. Sorry, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. All right. uh, they come no in more... threes. No. They come in threes. I'm expecting one more. <laughs> I'm saving a whammy. No. Um, okay. But the indoor stuff is a lot of warmer tones. It's rusty. It feels patina. Like everything's been oxidized and it just feels like the world is perfectly represented through the color choices. And so in every phase of the visualizing this world, it's, it's just 
perfectly established. The set deck is in harmony with the color grade, um, is in harmony with, you know, the, the sky replacement. And then my God, they did so much sky replacement in this thing and it works like it just works. Um, I think it's all beautiful until you finally, we get to the West coast and apparently the apocalypse has to end in San Francisco because we get there, right? Um, suddenly the sky, we get our blue back and we get the sense of hope you know, the rewarding of our faith or however you want to interpret that. Maybe life is growing again out here. And I love that it just coincides with this is where all the knowledge is being stored to your point about them collecting knowledge uh, for humanity and, and reviving, you know, intellectual uh, capacity and what have you. And which I think goes hand in hand with the building of society. The more learned you are, the the less violence you're probably prone to. Um, I think that all kind of plays plays together nicely. Um, yeah, the only other things, let's see, what else I got? Uh, Racine, yeah, we did that. Um, oh, at the establishing, right, we do that whole opening one and then we go into the cabin. I love the way we kind of continue to establish the world and our hero. Um, they have this really nice music montage of our character's night routine, Eli, right? And it just, great song choice, and it just builds his solitude and loneliness. And we just kind of need to spend time with Eli, in order to make sure we're connecting with them. We just saw him kill a cat. And so we don't want to jump to him killing a bunch of people too. Uh, we need to establish that we actually do like this guy. Um, and so he feeds a little mouse, right? It's all these little touches to say, okay, he's not like garbage. Uh, he's got a heart. Uh, he's just surviving though. And that we can forgive. And so, yeah, just spending time with them connects us to him. And the music of course builds emotional depth that we project onto him. Um, it's just really, really well done. And in a similar way, later in the film, whenever they're exiting the town, uh, and Solara, uh, is tagging along and he has to rescue her. There's that moment after her rescue and he just butchers those guys. I mean, I, every time he fights, his goal is to get through it quickly. Uh, and again, I just respect this movie so much for getting through the, the fight sequences with a, you know, with a nice flourish, but also efficiently because that's Eli. He's efficient. It's not about dragging it out and looking cool. It's about winning and that's it. Um, but he, he butchers those guys. And I love that when we cut, you know, whatever moments later, he's carrying those arrows. Um, and you can paint the mental image of him pulling those arrows out. Uh, and then they're walking and we kind of had this long two shot that she walks into and she starts crying. She breaks down. So good. This world is not a world that she's used to. And I love that just because the bad things are constantly happening doesn't mean the human uh, element is erased from humanity. We need to see that she's not over it yet. <laughs> she's going to need a minute over narrowly escaping uh, rape and murder. Like, let's let's make sure emotionally that's still washing over her. Uh, and it's just a beautiful little extra moment. And they feel this moment this movie could have been chopped down 20 minutes but you need those 20 minutes to build your characters build uh, uh some humanity into everyone um yeah and my last thought uh is you could look at this movie and outline it it's not a lot it's not a lot happening right uh we're going to establish the world we're going to establish our character we're going to see him kick some ass under the bridge um and now we're kind of building up his personal not just threat but what he is and isn't trying to do. And we start to get a sense of his goals and we're mentally slowly building up like who he is. 
enters a town um, and you could keep kind of checklisting. And once you get done with this outline, it's not a lot. There's, there's probably like nine or 10 things on this checklist of the outline. Um, and so many of those things happen in one location, the, the town um, that it's deceptively simple. And my point there is if you're out there writing a story, building an outline, you may not need as much as you think you do. It's deceptively easy once you understand what your goal is, what's your theme. You can really hack away a lot of what doesn't need to be there and just focus on what is my story about, anything that isn't helping that case. I don't need it. It doesn't matter if it's a cool scene. I'm sure they had a lot of cool fights you know, that they could have went to. And they said, no, the only fights in this movie are the ones that he has to have. In fact, we see him avoid one and we see kind of the toll that it takes on him not helping those two people. Um, because later in the film, he runs into those. Oh, great point. Right. And he runs into those guys again and his, he, he's much quicker to react than any other time. Cause he's like, I know what this guy's about already. I already, I've already judged you. Boom. Uh, and, and I love, he lets him go and he just collapses, uh, at the bar. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's the, the quick and dirty version of my book of Eli. I, I love it, man. I think this is such an underrated film. It's, uh, just, just a wonderful experience in my, in my Totally submission. agree. I, and I don't think that anybody else could have played it as good as Denzel. I just feel like such a great casting for that. It's so one of the other things I, I remember from the the Q and A afterwards is how they got Gary Oldman. Is they had Denzel, they were working with him, and as they were working through certain scenes, Denzel would be like in in rehearsal, like you know how Gary would say this. Gary would you know bam like I love this guy. I'm telling you, man, Gary like he it, it would be interesting, and he just kept uh, thinking envision. Denzel kept envision, envisioning uh, Gary Oldman here. And after a while, they were like, wait, you know what? Let's get Gary. Let's, let's get Gary Oldman. And they checked in and the stars aligned and he was able to do it. Um, and they were like, and the amazing thing is everything we thought he would do, he did the opposite. <laughs> like he just showed up and he did something completely different. Uh, and it was wonderful. Like, obviously it's, it's Gary freaking Oldman. Um, yeah. yeah. And so the last thing I, I'll say is just, is the sound. Yes. This film is amazing just point that out well the 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 music is incredible and perfect in every way in fact i don't have any idea who did the music but it's freaking flawless um because i experience it i don't necessarily hear it um unless i want to and then when i do it's it's enjoyable but the sound is so good gary's voice in that clip you played is unbelievably powerful and deep and heavy and weighted and evil at the same time that he's trying to be convincing that he's good, but that's captured in a way that's just whoever the sound guy was on this film or guys or girls just killed it, captured those moments flawlessly. And then all the Foley at the end of the steps and the crunches, it it's mixed absolutely just wonderfully to where I hear all the textures. I hear the, like the way Denzel talks is very pointed his P's and his T's are mm. like he speaks with precision and it's important to capture that in a way and not kill it in post when you're mixing that that really brings his character to life. And I think that they did uh, just an amazing job at that. It was super strong. Nice. What man, the score 
This is probably my fourth or fifth favorite score of all time. And I realized we, we talked about the, on the fountain about how great that score was. And it's right up there with interstellar. And I finally remembered my third, uh, second or third, depending on the day, probably the second, um, which is sunshine. That's my other like yeah. score that is just Danny sublime. Elfman. Yeah. Uh, no, Who did oh, that? God. I'm forgetting. It's a, it's a band and I'm suddenly forgetting. And it's funny because it's uh, relevant to Sun Ra. No, <laughs> no. Um, God dang it. But the, uh, the, the score in this film stays in my head rent free. Like I, I hear it all the time. Like I, I would be surprised if there's more than a few days that go by and this score doesn't float through my mind. Wow. Probably more than any other uh, score ever. Um, it just, it's so simple and it's so beautiful and it speaks so powerfully to, uh, the theme I think on this very, you know, musical tone, it's just, God, it's good. Um, and they, they're, they're patient with it. They don't just, you know, over the top and hit you every chance they get. They wait. They're very patient on when they uh, unleash it. Um, and it, this does feel like an unleashing, you know, it, yeah, I adore it. I don't know. Did, did anything pop out to you about the, the, the music of the score? It's 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 perfect. It feels lonely yet vital at the same time. It feels pointed like there's a reason for there's a reason for it to be there. Like you said, they don't just use it all all the time. It, fe- it feels like like if I heard it outside of it, I would outside of the film, I would know it. So memorable at the same time, but I it doesn't distract from the story. It motivates the story, which is the the sign of a great score. It just and it, and it bolsters all of the other like the actual music that Denzel listens to, like the choices that of what he's listening to and what the score is doing is just they are very symbiotic. Yeah. And the when it's not there, it's also important, too. It's just so good. Like the choices they made just are super strong. So, so dang good. Nice. Um, yeah. What are you going to recommend this week? Oh, that uh, that is a good question that I am not prepared for. <laughs> uh, what are you going to recommend this week? I'm going to recommend the Netflix show um, by A24. It's called Beef. And it's so good. It's uh, Steven Yeun and Ali Wong. Uh, and it's it's everything you would want from an A24 series. Like it's a limited series. Um, it's really strong storytelling, really strong characters surprises galore um yeah it'll 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 have you feeling some kind of way let me put it that way so beef i know they probably could have found a better title for it but um it's what's for netflix uh so uh yeah beef is is what's up yeah what yeah anything come to mind is there a uh yeah i've been i've been digging into this waco american apocalypse on netflix and i that was what i had in my head but i think about it which is you know kind of goes along with this theme but it's just really interesting because i remember this happening and i remember what i was told and you know going in and watching something like this where you have branch davidians who are they actually interview uh, it just makes it really interesting to see a different perspective not saying that it wasn't you know i'm not saying anything about any either side i'm just saying it's very interesting to see another aspect of this because look i don't care what you do with your life and what you believe you you do it as long as you're not hurting other people or forcing people to do stuff i you know i'm no. i'm good with it but 
it's just an interesting uh, perspective that I'd never thought about uh, too. So yeah, Waco American Apocalypse. It's uh, a Netflix doc, which and it's really it's really well done. Nice, great recommendation. Um, stay tuned for next week. We're gonna take a look at uh, Danny Boyle's Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, that'll be fun. I'm excited about that. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget. Drop us a review. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a note if there's something you want us to talk about or the kind of things you find interesting. Uh, and if you want to leave a note on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash the book of Eli. And our quote of the day today is from St. Augustine. This is an incredible quote. There is no saint without a past, no sinner without a future. I. What? I mean, how heady... And yet how poignant and, and true, you know, my favorite, my favorite aspect of faith and specifically Christianity is always that there is grace, there is forgiveness. Um, And I think this is one of the things that's too often uh, disappointed me about Christians themselves is that they don't really live this ethos. It feels like a lot of Christians. And again, I'm coming from the background of someone going into ministry like I, I'm not speaking out of turn here. Um, this is my experience, I should say. Uh, there's there's so many people that are more interested in judging you only by your past or what they think your future is going to be. Uh, there's just it seems like there's a real lack of grace from so many, and I'm so grateful that I know so many Christians who are not that way um, because there are some really wonderful people of faith, both Christians, I mean, even Mormons, which is one of my least respected religions, if I'm being uh, frank, but it's, it's what, how are you living your faith? And I love this story so much uh, because again, it's, it's more about the faith and just conceptually, I like it because it feels like a, a, a journey, almost the inverse of uh, Lord of the Rings, where Frodo is trying to take the ring to Mordor it feels like Eli is trying to pull the ring back from Mordor and bring it back to the world. Like there's something um, that, you know, I can do to bring humanity, you know, hope. And that's worth something. Uh, I'm not whatever a, a religious guy anymore, but man, I respect people who know how to have faith and grace, you know, regardless of if you're in conflict or not. Um, I, yeah, I adore this movie because uh, so many reasons, but just, it says a lot of good things about faith. Um, and, and the realization of Eli at the end to be like, I've realized something about myself. He judged himself. He didn't need someone else. He didn't need Solara to come and judge him. He did that for himself. And I, I, I hope that for all of us that we can evaluate ourselves and say, am I really living out my truths? And if not, that's okay. There's a future for me still. How can I correct myself? Wow. Well said. I, I have nothing to add to that, honestly, because you said everything I was thinking. That's amazing. Uh, the one thing I will say that I did not like, there was one thing I did not like about this movie. And then I'll I bet, leave, wait, I bet it's it go. the same thing. God, say it. Okay, here we go. Here we go. It's just something I have to do. Her line at the end, when she's talking to the guy uh, on the island, I, Anytime anybody says it's just something I have to do, I'm taken out. Like, really? It's been a perfect movie up until that point, And you have to give have Mila Kunis say it's just something I have to do. Like, what a cop out. Like, that made me so mad at the end. Like, just have her say nothing. 
And then she's gone. She leaves. You don't have to insert anything there. No, Sorry. it's funny. Is that your I, moment or no? Kinda. It's it is the end moment with her. I I don't care about the line so much as I don't buy her as the new Eli. Oh no, she hasn't earned that yet. Yeah, she hasn't earned the right to be a warrior. You know, out there uh, handling business. And so I think there's probably another way, another approach to have her going back, whatever, to save her mom or because she does need to go back and take care of her mom. Yeah. And that's that's great. But positioning her as this new Eli is really out of bounds. I'm like, I don't. Or she puts his his sword or knife or whatever in the back. Yeah. Like, no, she I hasn't totally earned agree. that. She hasn't earned that. Like that level of skill and and fight she is not prepared for she is going to die within a mile um, <laughs> she needs yeah. like a car and some guns and then it's like okay now let's talk shop but yeah, yeah. that that bothers me as a final moment of like oh y'all didn't yeah. earn that you did not earn that one ounce yeah for all of you writers out there never write it's just something i have to do i have a there list. are a few lines there's a list right we we've talked about this oh, there's a yeah, list the- of lines that right that just should never be used ever again jokes yeah it's, there's this great list from workaholics i'll, I'll add it to the, the show notes yes um, of jokes that should never ever be used that's great i have another list of things that i look for in crappy films uh one of them <laughs> i'll just give you my my top bugaboo is uh i still can't believe that's the worst I <laughs> flare bottle rocket of exposition is coming at you right now I still can't yeah. believe you're getting married tomorrow. I still can't believe it's been 20 years since I last saw you. I, whatever follows, I still can't believe you're a shitty writer. Rethink your dialogue. That's a great, <laughs> great point. I love it. Oh, man. Yeah. I All right. Well, I'll look out for that on, on any film that I ever yeah, see right. now. That's right. I can't unsee that. You cannot. Oh, this has been this has been fun. Thank you guys for joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode and our deep dive into into the Book of Eli Make sure to join us next week, Slumdog Millionaire. It's going to be a lot of fun. And please subscribe, review us at wherever you get at your podcast and share us with your friends uh, because it all helps. And if there's a film that you'd like to see us kind of dissect, please let us know. Uh, sometimes we do those uh, as well at request. Not always, but we do when we can. Uh, and until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Go watch some movies.